Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 12. Easy peasy. The priority for the Green Hands gang was to steal back the Squiducken key and, if possible, the feather from number 8. This meant getting enough of the gang to Rodine for the football match the following day. At the end of school, James left Jenny coordinating the gang and cycled into town to warn the raven, Merlina, about number eight. He locked his bike in New Road, near the back entrance to the dome, and looked around for the bird and the hooded man. He had no way of contacting Merlina directly, so stood for a while near the Max Miller statue, then walked through Pavilion Gardens. Thankfully, it was not raining nor hailing, just cold and clear. The ice rink in front of the pavilion was half empty, a few kids and parents clinging to its sides. At least it was cold enough to keep the ice nice and hard. He checked the skyline for ravens. There was a black bird perched on one of the rink's lights, watching him, but it was too small to be Merlina. If he had still had the feather, he could have called the peregrine falcon and told it about number eight. He still felt bad about being tricked by the girl. Telling Jenny had helped, and starting to get the gang together was always a good feeling. But he knew the situation was his fault. He should have been smarter, and now he had to make up for it. He bought a takeaway hot chocolate from the ice rink bar, walked back to New Road, and sat on the steps of the Unitarian Church opposite the entrance to the dome's stage door, and waited. It grew colder and darker, and he finished his drink and stuck his hands into his coat pockets. And just when he decided to leave, a familiar stuttered wingbeat caught his eye, and Merlina landed on the steps a few feet away. Loitering round here will get you into trouble, Merlina said, folding its wings back and looking at James. You best move along before you get moved. I wanted to warn you, James said. Someone stole a special key of mine. It could cause problems. You really should be more careful with your keys, Merlina said slyly. You only just got your key back. It was the Squiducken key. The bird cocked its head to the side and raised the feathery ridge above its deep-set eyes. It's one of the bones of Kerberos. The key to the subterrain, James added. What would a human be doing with one of the bones of Kerberos? Merlina said, suspicion clear in its voice. I was entrusted to look after it, but I lost it. And who has it now? I don't know her name, James said, but it's a student at Rodine, the school on the cliff behind the marina. She's in their football team, number eight. I think she might use it to try and break into the room with the dragon door. I'm not a big fan of football, Merlina said, but I am certain that the dragon door and the room beyond are safe. Now, I'll ask you again. Move along before you get into more trouble. But, James said, the bird did not wait to hear any more. It hopped off the step and took off into the darkening skies. So much for warning the raven, James thought. They would just have to hope that number eight had not managed to use the key before they could get it back. 
He finished the drips in his keep cup and put it back in his bag. Now for the hard part. Leaving his bike locked up, he crossed the road into the north lane. The Christmas lights were on, strung thick across the narrow shopping street. He made a stop at Fato Amano, a local pizza place, and ordered a spicy, meaty pizza. He warmed himself up a little in the glow of the pizza oven while he waited. Wafts of warm pizza air escaped from the box on his walk up the hill toward the old churchyard. The smell was amazing, and he was hungry, but the pizza wasn't for him. He found the right wall in the little church, awkwardly held the pizza box in one hand while rummaging around in his bag for Elf's box and the badger stone. The stone was round and totally smooth, except for three small claw marks. He found a corresponding mark on one of the bricks in the wall of the church and held the stone to it. There was a satisfying clunk and a hidden door swung inwards, as it had done the year before. Everything up to this point had been easy, but through the hidden door was a dangerous creature, and James suddenly felt like he was making a big mistake. He wanted to turn around and leave the priestess alone, but that wouldn't help get the key back from number eight, nor would it help his friend. He stepped inside. It was dark, almost black, a mix of pungent odours hanging heavy in the air. The residue of experiments. He used the pizza box to push through a heavy velvet curtain in front of him. Pizza? a voice said before he was fully inside. And a human with it. Two meals for the price of one. And I didn't even pay. Uh, hi, James said, pushing all the way into the priestess's lair. There was no turning back now. The lair was actually a very compact, homemade science lab. Not as big as the labs at school. It was just wide enough for two long worktops, separated by a gap large enough to accommodate the scientists. There were overloaded shelves above and below the worktops, and equipment and experiments filling almost every usable surface. A figure in a crisp white lab coat was standing next to a tall stool, eyes pressed right up to an odd kind of microscope set up on the right-hand bench. You again, the priestess said, without looking up. Good to see the venom hasn't taken you yet. She raised her face from the eyepiece and turned to James. Her black eyes shone against the dark fur stripes running down the sides of her snout. She was a badger not quite as big and bulky as the king under the fort, but somehow more intimidating all the same. James's eyes fell on her claws, resting on the controls of the microscope. They looked bigger and sharper than he remembered. Or, more aptly, good to see that you haven't got yourself killed another way. Thanks, James said. He held the pizza up. Where should I put this? The badger moved a leather-bound book to clear a space on the worktop. The dark wood was covered with hundreds and hundreds of claw markings. The priestess's notes scratched into the old wood. One of those markings, James knew, was a calculation that signified how long he had until he died. He put the box down and paused, trying to figure out what to say next. The priestess clearly wasn't in a patient kind of mood. Spit it out, she said. 
you haven't come here to read the gas meter, or just for a chat. Get on with it. Can you fix torn ligaments, he blurted. Why? She sniffed the air between them, examining it, or perhaps examining James. Are you planning on having an accident? Not me, but Jenny. She sprained her ankle, and it would be really useful if she could walk again. Useful to her, or useful to you? To her, James said. Then he added, and to me, but her mostly. Sprained ankle, eh? the badger said to herself. Is that all? Then again, it's better than that deadly venom last time. But then again again, that was most interesting. She rummaged through some shelves until she found a jar of something brown. I need more blood, she said, while opening the jar and smelling the contents. Yours. Oh, er, uh, okay, James said. Not this again. Hold out your thumb. She smiled a less than reassuring smile. Come on now, you know how it works. James held his breath and his thumb out. A quick flash of a claw and the priestess had a drop of his blood on a glass plate. She put it into a strange device and flicked a switch, then examined it through some brass goggle things on the end of a leather tube. Interesting. Everything's looking good. For Jenny's cure, James said, uncertainty in his voice. No, fixing a ligament is easy peasy. I'm looking at how my little remedy to your snake bite is getting along. And I must say, it's still working perfectly. James had completely forgotten about the snake venom inside him. He didn't really like to think about the deadly poison that was being held back by the priestess's expertise. The poison in him could not be stopped, but the badger had managed to slow it somehow so that it would only kill him on the day that he would have died anyway. At least, that was the plan. It was working so far, he felt just fine. That's good, he said, trying to concentrate on anything other than the venom. And what about the ankle sprain? How long will it take to heal? There's a few ways to heal a sprain. The priestess tapped the side of a thin glass bottle on a shelf. You can take something that will dissolve the ligament completely. No ligament, no problem. The badger chuckled to herself. James waited for something that sounded more reasonable. You could atrophy the tissue, but that's just as bad in the long run. The badger looked at James to see his reaction. He looked suitably shocked, so she continued. Oh, just make her take these pills and rub a bit of this on her ankle. The balm will fix the ligament fairly quickly. The pills will let her cope reasonably with the tear while the healing takes place. She handed James the jar of brown stuff and an envelope with two round pills in it. Thanks, he said, tucking them into his bag. What's all this about, anyway? I've not been keeping up to date with the town's animal gossip. James gave her a run-through of the royal visit, the unknown missing treasure, the raven, number eight, and him losing the squiduckin key. The priestess potted around the lab while he spoke, organising equipment or putting books away. When he finished, she opened the pizza box and smelled the delicious meaty topping. Losing the squiduckin key, as you call it, is disappointing. I'm guessing that's why you need Jenny to be better. James nodded. Don't tell Julian about that. He'll go mad. He trusts you. Don't know why. The badger used a razor-sharp claw to slice the pizza. And that raven is a good sort. They've protected the royals for centuries, the ravens. Pay attention to her, and who she is friends with. The peregrine falcon, James said. 
we met the raven when we went to visit the falcon. The falcons do what they want, the priestess said, but the raven is better than most of its kind, and if there's one thing to always remember about corvids, they hate other corvids messing with their business. Wait, James said. We went to see the Crow Council. The chairman warned us about the raven. He tricked us. Sounds like getting tricked is becoming a nasty habit. But yes, crows and ravens do not get on. Didn't you learn that before with the magpie mess you helped clear up? She was right. James could only nod in agreement. But can we trust the falcon, he asked. Oh yes, she said. They suit themselves, but they don't play games. If the falcon said it would help you, then it will. And do make sure and clear up all of this before Saturday. I'm making Julian take me to the royal performance, and he really hates getting dressed up. I wouldn't want him to have an excuse to avoid it. James said goodbye and left the badger chuckling to herself while eating the pizza. It felt good to be back outside, or at least not trapped in a small space with the priestess. Despite the fact that she had now helped him twice, there was something about her that he found deeply unnerving. There was nothing more he could do in town, and he was nearly late for dinner. He left the churchyard quickly, not noticing the dark bird perched on a branch that watched him as he ran down the road.